Hello, and welcome back to the Clavio Data Science Podcast. On this podcast, we've talked a lot about data science models, features, software solutions. You probably know that if you've been here before. We've discussed things like CLV, product recommendations, calculating expected date of next orders, running a successful A-B test, many other topics along those lines. Once again, though, it is time for us to talk about taking those general solutions and making them specific. Today, we're going to talk about using data science to help a specific business grow. In particular, today, we're talking with an actual Clavio customer. We're talking with Shane from Plytrix Analytics, who works with Vital Proteins at Clavio. We're going to talk about Plytrix and Vital Proteins in a little more depth in just a moment, but I'd like to actually start at the personal. Shane, could you introduce yourself, who you are, and what role you play on your team? Hi, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. That's not a problem. So I'm Shane Suazo. I'm the founder of Plytrix Analytics. Prior to founding Plytrix, I was working on the products analytics team at Netflix. Specifically, I was working on messaging data over there. So evaluating the performance of email, push notification, and in-app message campaigns. Before that, I spent a few years at CBS Interactive, which is really where I started my career. There, I was focused primarily on building out business intelligence for CNET. I definitely see a common theme there. Working at Netflix, probably similar questions to what you're answering now for the businesses that you work with, I would guess. There's definitely a lot of overlap, especially when it comes to that which intersects with Clavio, you know, because I was yeah. working very closely on all things messaging at Netflix. So there's a lot of overlap in the work that we did with Vital Proteins. For the past few years, we've been operating mostly in the startup space. Plytrix is an analytics consulting and professional services company. And we tend to work mostly with high growth e-commerce businesses, usually businesses that recently got acquired or recently got an additional round of funding. And we help them to map out their analytic strategy and, and build out the capabilities that they need to execute that. So Vital Proteins is really one of our, our recent success stories. And we've been working with them since January of 2020 with the digital arm of their business. So we're focused just on their e-commerce site, their Amazon business, and helping them to build out all of the analytics around that. So yeah, it's been very interesting, a very interesting time to work with Vital because a lot has happened in that short time period. During our engagement, we've already had Nestle Health Sciences take a majority stake back hmm. in June of 2020. So that was, you know, a pretty exciting event. Yeah, pretty huge. Then, yeah, pretty huge, definitely. And then in November 2020, we had a pretty massive Jennifer Aniston endorsement. Hmm. And the digital business in general has just been growing at a very rapid clip. So you can imagine that everybody there is really hungry for data and analytics, and it's kind of mirrored that hockey stick growth trajectory. So they're definitely keeping us busy. Mm -hmm. And we've got a couple of folks on the Plytrix team that are, are dedicated to vital proteins. And they're really the day-to-day the -day boots on the ground. And I sit in a director of services role and basically just make sure that everything's running smoothly and everything is and meets the expectations of uh, vital proteins management. Sounds like one of those classic good problems to have very busy because there's a lot to do. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So one of the things that we talk about time and time again on this podcast is that basically no problem exists in a vacuum. For that reason, I would like to start off, make sure that everyone in the audience has some context on vital proteins. 
Could you tell us a little bit more about the business there and the sorts of products that Vital Protein sells? Sure. So you're probably familiar with collagen peptides. It's exploded in popularity in the last couple of years. And for those of you who are not familiar, collagen is a type of protein. It's actually the most abundant form of protein in the human body. And it's often taken as a supplement in order to support healthy hair, nails, skin, and joints. So Vital Proteins is really the originator in the collagen peptide space. The flagship product of Vital Proteins is their collagen peptides product, which is a tasteless powder. It dissolves pretty easily in most drinks. I usually drink it in coffee and it's, mm -hmm. it's great. They actually also sell several other products, most notably being their performance line, which includes pre-workout, a recovery and uh, sleep products. So those are the most popular SKUs, mm -hmm. but there's several others. Interesting. So a range of products, definitely an interesting space to be in. How does Vital Protein sell? these products? There's actually more products than just those hero SKUs. There's over 200 SKUs oh, wow. and they're sold in over 55,000 retailers. And of course they're sold online as well. So you may have run into this blue tub. It's like a light blue at places like Costco, Whole Foods, Safeway, to name a few pretty extensively in uh, most uh, popular retailers, but obviously also sold on Amazon and uh, vitalproteins.com as well. Already I'm hearing what sounds like complexity to me. You have all of these different in-person brick and mortar retailers of different sizes, of different types, sold on Amazon, sold directly online. The, already I'm hearing a bunch of different sources and a bunch of different complexity. Definitely a lot of complexity, especially our efforts tend to be focused on the digital aspect, but even within digital, you have all of your retailer.com. So you've got your Costco.com, your Target.com, your Walmart.com, then you've got Amazon, then you've got vitalproteins.com. They all have uh, different sources, different schemas, and it, mm -hmm. it can be a bit tricky combining them all to give you that high level aggregate view. Of course. Yeah. Who are the customers that use Vital Proteins? So Vital's customers tend to be health conscious men and women. As I mentioned before, with the Hero SKU, collagen peptides, that's primarily being taken for beauty benefits and for anti-aging benefits. There's also a, a separate segment of Vital's customer base that gravitates more towards their performance line. So these customers are taking that product to improve their performance. So it's definitely more of a customer base with an athletic inclination as opposed uh, to uh, the collagen peptides product, which is being taken for beauty and, and anti-aging. That's interesting. I imagine that there might be some large differences between those segments. I, just for a sense of scale, how large is one of those segments versus the other? The performance segment of the business is a relatively new line. The vast majority of Vital Proteins customers are the collagen peptides customers. That makes sense. So relatively new line, but I imagine obviously with it being a new line, there's also the potential for explosive growth in the future too. Exactly. Exactly. The idea there is to tap into a new kind of customer as uh, we already have a, a pretty substantial presence and penetration within the, the collagen peptides market. Speaking of things changing, let's think back to the start of 2021. Were there any particular areas of vital proteins, marketing activities, any points in the funnel, any internal processes 
that you knew that you wanted to improve? Q1 of 2021 was actually a very interesting time for Vitaproteins. And that's because we had the convergence of two pretty important events. The first one was what I mentioned earlier. Actually, it began in, in Q4 when we got the initial endorsement from Jennifer Aniston, but we continued that endorsement. And we also had in general, a larger focus on influencer marketing. That was pretty big in, in Q1. And then also at the same time, the natural seasonality of the business mm. means that January is a very important time. Generally, people tend to be health conscious and they have this sort of new year, new you mentality. They're trying to be very proactive about their, their new year's resolutions. The convergence of uh, both of those things happening in Q1 meant that we uh, wanted to capitalize on that, that growth. And there was a strategic ramp up in media spend, take advantage of that. So there were a couple of things that we had to keep an eye on as we were ramping up this media spend. The two most important ones being we had to make sure that the paid channels were not cannibalizing our non-paid channels, for example, email. And mm -hmm. then we also had to keep a close eye and make sure that all of the paid channels were operating within our ROAS expectations. So I guess it's kind of your classic high growth phase of a business. And we just wanted to make sure that we were growing efficiently. On a previous episode of the show, we've talked about seasonality. And obviously, I think that that concept is that concept is something that our listeners will understand well. But I'd like to highlight, I think that the January being a huge month seasonality is actually something that we didn't really discuss. We talked about, you know, October or November and December with Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Christmas being big months. We talked about kind of summer months being big for some businesses. January as a big month is a new pattern to me and a very interesting one. And it's Cool to hear that that's an aspect that you have to deal with with this business. Yeah, and I think that's very specific to the fact that it's a health and wellness brand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That actually feeds directly into the next point I wanted to discuss. So given your role on the team, given your role working with Vital Proteins, obviously you've got quite a bit of experience about that business, as we just saw. In my experience, expertise leads to knowledge. And a huge way that knowledge manifests is being able to ask good questions. On that note, what are some of the questions that you've tried to answer to help Vital Proteins grow? Over the course of our engagement with Vital Proteins, a lot of questions have come up. So some common ones are, how can we leverage analytics to minimize churn and maximize LTV? That's always something that the organization is interested in. Also, how can we win back customers that present a churn risk? How do we uh, establish a single source of truth for marketing attribution? So this was a big one, especially in the early stages, because prior to us working with Vital Proteins, they were purely relying on in-platform reporting. So they had all these separate sources of truth, uh, mm. you know, when they log into Facebook Ad Insights, when they log into the AdWords platform. And bringing all of that into a single data warehouse was a big step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. uh, other questions that came up were what role do each of the channels play in a multi-touch universe? So what I mean by that is we, we did some interesting analyses where we looked at the different response times per channel. And because Vital Proteins is spending in so many different channels, there were some natural assumptions that people were making as to where each channel sat in the funnel. 
So for mm -hmm. example, there was uh, the thought that Facebook is more up funnel and paid search is more close to the point of purchase. So it's more down mm -hmm. funnel. Of course, these are pretty obvious examples, but there's several other channels in there as well. And so one of the things that we helped do was figure out what the optimal response times were per channel so that they could execute multi-touch uh, strategies and make yeah. sure that the messaging in each of those channels was uh, correct for the position in the funnel. Other questions that came up were, how can we prevent and identify cross-channel cannibalization? So going back to that key one example I talked about, and it's actually something that we, we did have to make some mid-campaign adjustments in how we were allocating paid search spend to reduce cannibalization of the email channel. That's always going to be an important question. Yeah, one of those questions that really stood out to me is the single source of truth for marketing attribution. That is a huge problem. It's a huge opportunity if you can do it correctly. It's something that we deal with at Clavio all the time because if you were able to be a unified platform for multiple sources of attribution, then it really makes things easier to track. But trying to make a true unified single source of truth for an entire business's marketing attribution, that sounds like a very complex task. Yeah, it's actually a pretty involved question. I mean, there's several ways you can go about it, obviously, with the most simple um, being your first and your last click mm -hmm. attribution models. In Vital Protein's case, we actually ended up going a pretty bespoke route for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, we created a customized multi-touch attribution model that used a couple of things that make it quite interesting. One was uh, we uh, used a statistical technique, Granger causation, in mm -hmm. order to identify the um, optimal response times per channel. Uh, then taking those into consideration, one of our data scientists created a regression that we used to establish weighting coefficients per channel. Mm. So we had this touch-based multi-touch model, but rather than using time decay or linear or U-shape and just saying this touch gets this percent, we weighted the touches according to how much uh, our regression was telling us they influence purchases. It was a, a pretty elaborate attribution model, but it's been working pretty well for Vital Proteins. I believe that. It sounds sophisticated. I mean, that's the sort of thing you can only do after you actually establish that single source of truth, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the groundwork that's necessary in order to do that. It would never be possible without first establishing that. I'd like to dig in a little bit more into the question that you brought up of how to win back customers who present a churn risk. How did you go about answering that question? Let's actually start with the motivation here. How did you decide, and with this one, it might be a little bit obvious, but just to hear the exact motivations here, how did you decide this was a good question to ask and answer? First off, I would say that in the beginning of 2020, there was a big shift in the digital strategy for Vitaproteins. Specifically, there was a greater focus on subscriptions. Vitalproteins has offered subscriptions both on vitalproteins.com and on Amazon via the subscribe and save functionality. But prior to 2020, it was a small part of the digital business. So the strategy really shifted at the beginning of 2020 when management saw that the subscribers were generally retaining much better when they had subscriptions. So the thought was that getting more subscribers would be a nice way to boost LTV. Mm -hmm. The second piece that we considered was the cost component. 
the CAC was actually pretty significant. And furthermore, the biggest drop-off in, in the retention curve, if we mapped it out by order number, the biggest drop-offs were happening between the first and second order. I think that's mm. quite common. But if we isolate the repeat customers, the CAC gets even more expensive. So with that in mind, you know, just looking at those trends, it, it was pretty obvious that the, the benefit of retaining customers is clear because it's cheaper to, you know, for lack of a better analogy, to plug the hole in a, in a leaky bucket versus continually filling it up. As you point out, this is probably not a question that's unique to vital proteins. I think a lot of businesses have this exact same issue of if you can keep people buying after the first purchase, then it really, really helps. And it's not nearly as expensive to retain them than it is to, to get customers in the first place. Let's talk a little bit about answering the question then. Did you have any trouble finding the right data to answer this question? It definitely took some time to get to where we are today. And going back to what we talked about earlier, where the first thing was establishing that single source of truth, getting that data warehouse set up and piping everything into there and modeling it. The first iteration when we started looking at churn was pretty simplistic. Basically, mm -hmm. it involved looking at the probability of repeat order given the number of days that have elapsed since the most recent purchase. So we took a look at the historical data in aggregate, and then we found that if a customer hasn't placed an order in end days, then I forget the exact number, but uh, there's it was something around 65, 66. Uh, mm -hmm. there was a 75% chance that they would not place a repeat order. The churn prevention then came by messaging customers that were a few days out from that crossover, that threshold end, and then offering them some type of promo. But as I said, this was very simplistic. So this was just the first iteration. The problem with, uh, with this approach was that it was very one-size-fits-all. And you often ended up waiting a couple of months before messaging a customer. Mm -hmm. And by this point, it was often too late and that customer was lost. I would say like first iterations, that's often starting with something one size fits all and then getting more specific. I, I think many people listening to the episode probably are familiar with that. What was the next iteration? We saw the, obviously the in, inherent flaws in, in it, but we knew it would take time to build the more refined iteration. So in the meantime, we wanted to have something in place. So basically what the next iteration involved is uh, one of Plytrix's data scientists, Clement Merzlikov, built a predictive model that enabled us to come up with individual daily churn probabilities for each of Vitalprotein's customers. And with the new model, we were able to achieve the same 75% confidence within less than half the time. Nice. So we were able to message those churn risk customers much sooner. And as a result, we were able to more effectively execute win back campaigns. Even that took, uh, you know, it took uh, quite a bit of exploratory data analysis and iteration before we were able to settle upon the correct model that we moved forward with. So we tried a few things. We tried Clavio's um, built-in predictions. We tried Pareto NVD uh, survival analysis and some machine learning approaches. Eventually, we ended up going with a machine learning model due to greater flexibility and, and basically um, choose selecting the uh, features that we wanted to use. The beauty in all of this was that we were able to pretty seamlessly use this in-house model with a lot of the features of Clavio. For example, uh, we were able to use the Profiles API to attach these predictions to the Clavio profiles on a daily basis. 
And we also did this with some other data points that we were generating in warehouse, like our RFM segments, for example. And uh, the end result was that the CRM team had many data points and they were able to build very sophisticated segments using a combination of uh, data points that came directly from Clavio integrations and the things that we were generating in uh, the data warehouse. I love hearing that this bespoke model hooked up into Clavio using the features that are already there. That's really cool. Did any of the answers that you got after running this analysis surprise you? Vital Proteins conducted a A-B test after we created this model that isolated some high churn risk customers within our high value segments. And basically the treatment received a message with a discount code and the control was a holdout. Not surprisingly, the treatment proved to be quite effective in preventing churn, which was a big win. Mm-hmm. And using our new churn model, we were able to increase the retention rate in the treatment by 30%. And we were able to do so with a, a six cent customer retention cost. Wow. So I think that the finding that we were able to improve the retention was uh, not earth shattering or surprising. But what was a bit surprising was how efficiently we were able to do so. And the fact that even a very small promo, small discount was able to reactivate those customers and prevent that churn. Also, while that finding was great, there were some other findings during the EDA that would fit the bill more of being surprising. Mm. So leading up to building that churn model, the uh, EDA that our data scientists did isolated different segments of vital proteins customers, and we broke them into five different categories. Mm -hmm. So the first was try and bounce, which is basically a customer that placed one one one-time order and then they churn. The next one was irregular, which is customers Mm -hmm. that were placing multiple non-subscription orders. Then the third segment was stable. These are regular subscription-only orders. Then the fourth one was try and subscribe. These are customers that place a one-time order, and then after that, they end up subscribing. And then the rest was mixed, just like all other combinations. What was pretty surprising is that when we broke out our customers that way, we found that almost all of the subscribers fell into the stable category. Hmm. So... What I mean by that is that they were subscribing from day one. Hmm. Intuitively, I would have expected that more of the subscribers would be in this try and subscribe group uh, where they're placing a one-time order and then they're going to subscription, but it's actually not what we found. So for existing customers, this prompted the question for us, how can we get more one-time customers to convert to subscription? especially since we did have this group of irregular customers that had placed repeat orders on a one-time basis, but mm-hmm. they never subscribed. So then we started you know, thinking about ways that we can nudge customers towards subscribing on the first order. And in parallel to that, how can we get these irregular customers to uh, switch over to subscription? I think this is an example in action of the power of answering difficult questions is it gives you other questions that are just equally valuable to answer. That That's very cool. And I think that's probably one way that answering this question about preventing churn helped, but I imagine there are probably a few other ways. Has that changed the way that things are done over vital proteins or how they communicate with certain customers or even potentially higher level decisions? So I think to, to give you the best, most detailed answer, it would really be better to talk to 
Bottle Proteins Director of CRM, Julia Linker, but I'll do my best to answer it. <laughs> At a high level, I think that what it's done is it's enabled Vital Proteins to send more timely messages with more relevant offers. And in the case of promos, we're also able to make the discounts more customized offers that are better tailored towards our high value customers specifically. Very nice. Thanks for walking through that. That's a really interesting case study into using, it sounds like some pretty sophisticated data science just from the iterative modeling, going with a more complicated model, finding a way to feed that back into Quavio via the API. This is really cool work and clearly it's had a real effect on vital protein. So that's super interesting to hear. It's been a very flexible way to work and uh, we've had a lot of fun mixing and matching features. Speaking of features, I'd like to zoom into some specific features. We discussed a few data science related features at the top of the episode, but thinking of data science related features, have any been especially interesting or useful for you or your team? There's a couple that come to mind. One is the next expected purchase date. I know that our, our CRM team has created a number of campaigns using that as a data point. And then a secondary one, which I don't think is being leveraged as much today, but has a lot of potential is predicted gender. We don't have gender information for our, our entire customer base, but going back to those two different customer groups, when we talk about the collagen peptides product that's more geared towards beauty and anti-aging, mm-hmm. that audience does skew slightly more female. See kind of the opposite when the performance line. The performance line has a higher proportion of males compared to you know, our hero skew, the collagen mm-hmm. peptides. So predicted gender could be a, a very interesting feature to further tailor our messaging so that we can speak to a more specific value prop. Absolutely. Yeah. Predicted gender, we haven't had a full episode deep dive on that feature yet, but to give potentially a preview of what we might talk about in that episode, We've seen some examples of customers on Clavio using predicted gender just to make minor tweaks to campaigns even, where it's you know changing the order that you show certain images in or changing what appears in the hero image in a small way have actually gotten very interesting results with that. So I agree, predicted gender is definitely an interesting topic to potentially explore in the future. Let's dig into the why. So for expected date of next order, are you using that feature to help answer a particular question or to help communicate with the customers in a different way? There's one interesting idea that we've been throwing around, but we haven't actually started yet. Mm -hmm. And that's how do we combine the next expected purchase date specifically with the churn model that we mentioned earlier in our win back campaign. For example, one way that we might do that is something like, 14 days out of the expected purchase date, we look at, let's say, customers that have a greater than 70% chance of churning. And we can use this as a refinement for when we send that message. It gives Vital Proteins a little bit more precision about the optimal time to send that win back offer because we could try to sync it up with uh, their natural purchasing patterns. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's, you know, that's the sort of potential union of two data science features that could provide even more power than either one would have by itself in the future. So definitely interested to hear what impact that has if that ends up getting rolled out in the future. 
but yeah, uh, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, I, I could ask you to predict now, but uh, this is a data science podcast, not a uh, predicting the future podcast, I guess, as much as we would like to. <laughs> one of the things that we stress on this show is that research tends to be a pretty continuous process. What are some of the big questions that you have today that you have not been able to answer yet, but that ideally you're going to roll around to with research and get to in the future? Yeah, so new questions are popping up all the time. And I think that goes back to what you mentioned earlier about answering one difficult question triggers a series of new equally, if not more difficult questions. So one of the big ones would be understanding our Amazon customers, the same level of detail that we understand our vitalproteins.com customers. As you can imagine, the data points that we have on the vitalproteins.com customers are very numerous, very extensive. But unfortunately, we don't always have the same level of detail on our Amazon customers. And furthermore, understanding customer purchase behaviors through multiple channels, so customers shifting from one to another, meaning customers, you know, maybe placing one order on Amazon and then placing one order on vitalproteins.com. At this point in time, it's not possible for us to know the extent to which that's happening. Our surveys have actually uncovered that it's quite common for customers to purchase on multiple channels. And this gets even further complicated when we consider retail, which yeah. would be even more difficult to track. And we have even less data points on. For example, a customer might buy a big tub at Costco, then order vitalproteins.com, then occasionally order on Amazon. And in some cases, it could appear as though this is a low value customer. So for example, let's talk about our RFM segments, right? It's mm -hmm. just for the website. Maybe we bucketed a lot of people into low value, but when we look at this omni-channel view of the business, they're actually some of our highest value customers. So yeah. I think this is one of the trickiest problems that you know, we face as a, as a company and it's, it's going to be a, a tough nut to crack. Thinking of some of the customer impact, I'm sure it could potentially get confusing for a customer to you know, get an email that says, Hey, please don't leave us. Like, here's a discount to come back. And they say like, I, what are you talking about? I just bought a big tub at Costco yesterday. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Just a reminder that working in a data rich environment is so powerful and so useful. It's one of the things that we love at Quavio about the ability to basically own your own data. It, it, in many ways, it helps you control your own destiny because you have as much information as possible to make decisions like the ones you're talking about. And it gets much more challenging when you're trying to deal with channels where you have less visibility. So that's, that's a tough problem to solve. And I, I wish you the best solving it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What sort of advice would you have? So many of the people that listen to this podcast are either data scientists or people looking to move into a data science field. What sort of advice would you have for a data scientist who's trying to run an analysis or build a piece of software to help a business answer a question or help a business grow? All right. So I think that one of the most important things is to iterate fast and go through multiple cycles. So that can mean starting with a simple EDA, doing some basic modeling, a basic implementation, and then doing some A-B testing and then starting the whole process over. You're not going to achieve perfection from the get-go. So a lot of times, quick iteration is going to be more valuable. 
And you can actually tackle a lot of issues in the first cycle and uh, in the subsequent cycles, then you move on to refining and working in more sophisticated modeling. Yeah, the value of iterating fast, the value of moving quickly and trying to answer complicated questions by not boiling the entire ocean at once. Definitely something that we talk about on this podcast and something that resonates with a lot of people who are going to listen here. So great advice. So we've reached the end of the questions that we had. I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, Shane. It has been great talking with you. Great hearing about all the stuff that Plytrix does and has been working on. Very interesting work. Yeah, thanks, Michael. It was my pleasure. I also wanted to mention that we are hiring right now. So if there's anybody listening right now, analytics engineer looking for some work, you can head over to Plytrix.io and shoot me a message. You'll be able to find the link to that in the show notes. So thanks again, Shane. Have a great one. And that is it for the episode this month. As all episodes of the Clavio Data Science Podcast are, this episode was sponsored by Clavio. Clavio empowers creators to own their own destiny. If you're interested in learning more about Clavio, you can always go to clavio.com. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. If you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're interested in hearing more, first of all, if this is your first time listening to us, there are quite a few other episodes. There are at this point 15 other episodes that you can check out. You can find the entire repository of episodes wherever you get podcasts from. We're located on just about every major podcast distribution network, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of those good sources. So if you liked what you heard, you can go ahead and listen to the backlog there. You can also find the whole show notes, the whole write-ups on medium.com. We have a series there. So if there's ever a point in an episode where we mention a graph or we mention a resource or we mention a link, you can find all of that stuff on the Medium page. We'll have the link to that in the show notes. I'd also ask if you liked what you heard on this podcast, go ahead and subscribe. You can hear every episode when it comes out. We release episodes every single month unless there's some issue like me getting sick or an act of God or things like that. So you can look forward to content like this monthly. If you have any questions about the podcast or about anything that we've discussed in this podcast, you can contact me. The best place to reach me is on my Twitter. My at on Twitter is at Lawson underscore M underscore T. That's at L-A-W-S-O-N underscore M underscore T. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great month.